0: Hello and welcome to Season 3 of The Host Dispatch. I can't believe that it is already Season 3 of this podcast. I want to say on behalf of the whole host team, just how grateful we are to be here sharing virtual space with you, talking about poetry and art and activism. And we are so excited about all of the great episodes we have planned for this season So thank you so much for being here with us. What an honor it is to share this first episode with you in which Anar and I had a chance to talk with poet, educator, community organizer, and founder of Torch Literary Arts, Amanda Johnston. Amanda has an MFA in creative writing from the University of Southern Maine. She is the author of two chapbooks, Guap and Lock and Key and the full-length collection, Another Way to Say Enter. She has received fellowships, grants, and awards from Cave Canem, Hedgebrook, Tassahio, the Kentucky Foundation for Women, the Watermill Center, and the Austin International Poetry Festival. She is a former board president of Cave Canem Foundation, a member of the Afrolatchian Poets, co-founder of Black Poets Speak Out, And, as I mentioned before, the founder of Torch Literary Arts. Torch is a nonprofit organization established to publish and promote creative writing by Black women. And it's based right here in Austin, Texas. Now, Amanda, y'all, she is an amazing human being. She talked with us about all kinds of aspects, about Torch and about her life as a writer. But one of the things that really stuck with me was how she talked about trying to live as an example for her daughters and for other black women as well as for anyone who needs to learn how to be humble and of service, but also how to take care of themselves, how to ask for help, and how to advocate for themselves. Through Torch, Amanda is doing so much for Black women writers, but she also has such a beautiful vision for the future of this newly minted nonprofit, including retreats, writing workshops, and more. So keep an eye out for more great things coming soon from Torch by visiting their website... TorchLiteraryArts.org, following them on socials at TorchLiteraryArts, and if you want to support, please consider joining us in making a donation to Torch this month. It is Black History Month, and even though we celebrate Black lives, Black joy, and Black achievement, all year long here at Host Publications and on the Host Dispatch. It is a joy and an honor to bring more light to the work of Black women writers this February. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Amanda, and as always, thanks for listening. So, so excited to talk to you today. Amanda, welcome to The Host Dispatch. Hi,
1: thank Amanda. Um, so year 2022 is off to an incredible start, um, and we're so grateful to connect and have you kick off season three of The Host Dispatch. So thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Can you believe it's season three already?
1: No. <laughs>
0: absolutely not it is wild I still feel like a beginner so I have to I have to start owning that I'm a podcaster for real now
2: professional podcaster (laughs) listeners you cannot see the mic in front of me but I assure you it is very professional at least we
0: have the equipment Um,
2: yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) well Amanda there's so so much we want to ask you and talk about today but I thought it would be fun if we can ask you a little bit about yourself before we jump into all the fun torch stuff go for it so we know that you are a poet, and that you've been decorated with various awards and publications, and also that you're a really dedicated community organizer for poets. And so with all of that fun stuff in your bio, I just started to get curious about when your love affair with poetry started, because it's clear that you've really dedicated your life in part to to poetry. and. I was also curious if there was a particular poet or even a poem that really sparked your lifelong relationship with poetry.
2: Gosh, you know, there's different phases, you know, to one's evolution in their self. So discovering who you are, what speaks to you, what lasts, what stays, you know, it all has different connotations depending on what you're doing at the moment. So that's the long winded way of saying I give you three answers <laughs> to that question. <laughs> so when I was young, I praised my mother for giving me Shel Silverstein. And, uh, you know, poetry. Someone said this once, you know, poetry never, never leaves us. We start with poetry. Our first introduction to language is through song and through nursery rhymes and, and things like that. But when my mother gave me Shell when I was about four, it was a little naughty. <laughs> it was a little different, you know? I don't know yeah. when the last time you read Shell Silverstein, but I, I read him often. Just want to keep myself connected with, with play with the joy of the line and the rhyme scheme and surprise and turns, you know, he he's a master. Um, but there were definitely some rules being broken too. Yeah. And I remember sitting with light in the attic was the first book she gave me. And I have my copy still and it's all tattered and tore up. And there's, you know, parts in the book that have my little drawings and, and writings. I, I used to spell my name, uh, Mandy, short for Amanda. With the W an upside down M so my mother would always talk about my wandy drawings and things so it's littered all over it and I've had people try to repair it for me and I would scream no no, no, don't you dare touch that like that's archival material that was my real beginning introduction to what possibilities could be in poetry
0: yeah,
2: right that you could dare to think of something different and try it so. Pray Shell, Shell Silverstein, always. Um, but then when I got older, quite honestly, it was rap, hip hop. I um, was a wannabe lyricist when I was in middle school and high school. And, you know, in the bus with my friends just flowing, that was poetry. They couldn't name it as poetry then, but, you know, I was a rapper. And I actually had a a deal. I was going to be somebody, but I was a knucklehead too. So, you know, it's still a business. And Mm -hmm. I was a kid. So you can't be a no-show for recording sessions. You can't be a no-show for meetings. But yeah, that's how ingrained it was in me, the sound. I had the ear I didn't understand what meter was. I didn't know that was a word, right? (laughs) Like what what are these um, poetic devices? I had no clue, but I had an ear for it. And it would come through in my rhymes. And then put that down, came a mother, very young. um, At 17, Came a mother and got married as well. My husband and I got married at 22. And uh, this will actually be our 22nd anniversary. In March. Oh,
0: wow. that's amazing. Yeah, I've, been
2: married. I've been married forever. <laughs> <laughs> but I was focused on my family. And so I, I wasn't writing. And so I say, and this is, I guess, the, the third um, way to answer it now. So, as a young adult um, in my early 20s, I uh, got married and we had moved to Kentucky. And while I was in Kentucky, I worked at a community college there, Elizabethtown Community College, now Elizabethtown Community Technical College, shout out ECTC. And while I was there, I started writing poems, um, just as a therapeutic journaling. It was a bit of a culture shock to move from Austin to Fort Knox, Kentucky. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) My husband was in the military. Yeah. My husband was a soldier. So we lived on base everything it was very different yeah. um so it was a way for me just to escape you know and get something down on the page and a co-worker a librarian there shout out Laurie mckeller um, she i shared a poem with her and she's like no oh, this is really good and i wouldn't share it with you now don't ask don't even ask um <laughs> but it was just kind of venting you know about something that had happened and it had a loose rhyme scheme. And she invited me to join the Heartland Review. And it was a group of faculty and students on campus when I worked at the community college. And they got together and wrote and would read at a little spot in town. And I went. And it's really just as simple as that. that. That invitation opened the door for so much. Mm-hmm. And I started reading and reading and reading. I didn't know a lot of the great poets who I know now. Um, and I don't mean personally, just know like that they exist. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I had I had no idea. But once you discover something true about yourself, as I discovered I, I was a poet, then the hunger was insatiable. And I just kept reading and I started traveling and just being gone on the road all over Kentucky, all over the Midwest, going to read, I'd go to slams, I'd perform in slams. I wouldn't join a team because I was like, I, I, I can't be traveling around the country. I got a family and kids. I can't, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. But I would go and I would win these slams and, and come home. And yeah. it felt great to be writing and be in, my, in community. And a really pivotal point in my journey as a poet was meeting Frank X. Walker. After that, he's an um, mm-hmm. afro poet from Kentucky, first Black Poet Laureate of mm-hmm. Kentucky. And he came to E-Town and came to the college for reading, and I was starstruck. This Black man stood up there and read some of the most powerful poems I'd ever heard in my life. And I was just, I was just shocked I had truly, I had thought I was the only black person writing poems in Kentucky. (laughs) I just, I just knew it was just me. And of course that's not true. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right. If that's what your community reflected, it makes sense, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah.
2: Absolutely. So there in E-Town, it, you know, it was reading at these little spots in town and at the campus, we would have readings once a month. Like that was enough for me to be a little celebrity in a town of 15,000 people at the time. You know, I'd go to the grocery store. Hey, you're that poet I saw. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) (laughs) I truly thought I was the only black (laughs) poet writing in Kentucky. And then he came and just blew my whole world. And he was a huge influence on me, not just in his poetry. Read his first book, Afrolasha. Mm if you can get a copy of it. He has many, many books, but start with Afrolasha. It's fantastic. Okay. And he came and at the time he had just written Afrolasha and that was his first book. And I was standing in line to buy, this was not just his poetry, but his character, how you walk in the world. So I'm going to share this story. I was standing in line to get my book signed and Right when I got up to him, like, I'm so embarrassed. I'm, like, probably blushing now Stuff, <laughs> And I've known this man for years and years and years. But I was standing there, you know, like, please, Mr. Walker, sign my book. And at the exact same moment, this well-intended white woman who was mm. from my writing group mm. came and she had a stack of my poems in her hand. Mm. And she was shoving them in his face saying she's really good. She's really good. But if she could watch her language. Oh my
1: God. If she
2: could not do this. So she was critiquing me oh. as a writer to this man that I'm like, I want to die now. <laughs> you, you are oh saying this God. in front of me. To this man. So, you know, it's like, how do they say, a backhanded compliment? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I'd for, say so. Yeah, back
0: slap compliment, back kind
2: of. Back <laughs> compliment. Exactly. I was like, excuse me, I'm going to go die in the corner. And Frank looks at me and he looks at the woman and I get choked up every time I tell this story, but it meant so much. He looked at me and he said, keep doing what you're doing. Keep writing exactly what you're writing. He said... You can only tell the story of a black biracial woman in Elizabethtown in Kentucky right now, from your point of view, Keep doing what you're doing. Mm. And he gave me my money back for the book, and he signed the book, "You Belong to Us." And it changed my life. Oh my God, completely changed my life. So talk about oh that hunger gosh. for writing uh, and being oh in community God. with writers like I was done. I was a poet now I was I was out there
0: <laughs> that that you belong to us too. It feels like such a a huge moment for you right there as as you said, you didn't see a lot of other black poets in your community. and here's here's a black poet for the first time, maybe in that community. And, you know, that's who that us is. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, kind of like really opening a door saying, guess what? There's this whole group, this whole community, this whole world, and that's where you belong.
2: Figuratively and very literally, um, Frank is one of the founders of the afro Poets, mm-hmm. which then I later became a member of. Um, mm-hmm. The afro Poets were founded in Lexington, Kentucky, the University of Kentucky, a group of poets. um Dr. Kelly Norman Ellis, Crystal Wilkinson, um, a great fiction writer, and also a poet laureate of Kentucky. Now second black poet laureate of Kentucky is also an afro you know, and Nikki Finney. They started nice. the afro poets and mm-hmm. the afro poets had existed for maybe 12, 13 years at that time. This was in the early 2000s. So he came, did his reading. Then Nikki came, did a reading at the college Same thing. You know, she came, there was a big dinner, there was a big thing. I got to be in company with her and she held my hand and it was like the sky open. Fast forward a year, I was on the steering committee to bring different readers and people back to the campus. So, of course, I'm reaching out to Frank again, asking if he would come. And he says, you know, yes, 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 of course, I love E-Town. I'd be happy to come. And by the way, I nominated you to be an Afro-Lasian Poet. And I was Uh. like, what? (laughs) And so just this core group, this initial group of 10 or so poets had existed as the Appalachian poets for 12 or so years. And then they finally said, we need to add new members. (laughs) And so they did nominations. And like, it was very, people asked me, how did that happen? There's no application process. I don't know. I don't know. He just told me that he nominated me. And I said, great. And then it went silent. Like, yeah. for months and I got finally after like three or four months I got brave enough and emailed him I said uh you mentioned something about me being nominated <laughs> to be an aforementioned I was I supposed to do something <laughs> like just completely lost <laughs> and scared you're like oh I heard that wrong you weren't nominating me I'm so sorry let me go die in the corner um right <laughs> And he writes me back and he's like you haven't been getting the emails you're not on the email list I was like no so then I get this flood of emails saying, okay, all you nominees, y'all need to show up to a reading at Transylvania University in Lexington, and that's uh, going to be your induction. Okay, great. I'm going to go. I'm picturing it'll be a reading like I had done in E-Town. A little intimate space. Maybe there's 50 people there, you know, some cheese and crackers and wine. Yay, reading. That's poetry reading. So yeah, <laughs> I go to Transylvania University, and I see this horde of people walking across the campus to this building, to oh this gosh. auditorium. And I'm thinking, they must have something major going on over there. I'm not here for that. Oh. <laughs> so I ask the little guy at the gate where such and such auditorium, and he said, that's it. He points oh to the gosh. big building. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> going. And I'm like wow okay this is happening this is happening and i walked to the building and there's it's the kentucky governor's school for the arts has mm-hmm. their summer program there at transylvania university and there's about 300 people in the
0: audience
2: oh, my <laughs> <God>. <laughs> that is yeah huge yeah. for a
0: poetry reading yes even on campus yes. Gosh,
2: there's like 300 people in the audience and they're just frank and nikki and <laughs> Cardale, they're all just laughing oh. at us like and they're looking at us <laughs> like yeah like we we got you we got you <laughs> you ready they're like you ready it's like okay let's do it so get up there push me out on stage i do this poem oh gosh this old poem one of my very first poems <laughs> called he's not my husband and I wrote this poem it was right after 9-11 I, I told you my husband was in the army mm-hmm. my worst fear was that he was about to go to Iraq um, and to Afghanistan to war and I wrote this poem just crying, literally crying on the page about how terrified I was that he was about to go but also understanding that there were families on the other side of the conflict who are having the same fear Mm -hmm. my spouse my special person is about to go to fight these Americans so anyway I recited this poem and all 300 people stood up and about cried I just like lost it and it came off the stage they gave me a certificate and a pencil (laughs) and said you are an Appalachian (laughs) (laughs) special pencils made by Blackfoot Indians not just any pencil (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Not just any pencil. I swear it was gifted with special powers because I actually never used the pencil, but my youngest daughter did. And when she was very young, she just used, we'd let her use it to draw. And now she's an incredible visual artist. Oh so maybe I should have wrote some poems with it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but no, it, it ended up with the person it needed to, but yeah. So very, like I said, figurative, like you belong to us, to poets, to poetry, to the world, but very literally you belong to the Appalachian poets that was about a year after our first introduction.
0: Amanda, that's a beautiful mm-hmm. story. Oh my gosh. You were chosen. <laughs> yes. You were chosen. It was,
2: it was wild. It was wild. But I'm so grateful because what, what that did was open me up more to myself and who I am and the possibilities mm-hmm. of living a writer's life. Like, what is that? What does that look like? It can look like this. It can look like auditoriums full of people cheering for poetry.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it can look like some of the most beautiful, special things in my life happened because of poetry.
1: I also just I love that your journey to today, which is a community leader, a an incredible poet in your own right. Um, you know, and those are just a couple of many things that that you are, but your journey as a young poet involved so many people and it involved so much love and it involved encouragement and it all began with placing poetry in your hands and you know it's come full circle now in that you are organizing torch and you're telling (laughs) these incredible poets that need a platform black women writers that they belong and that anything in the world (laughs) can happen but they're a torch Member, Like they're part of the torch community. And yeah, I just love that you took all of this love and you're you're doing so much for the Austin community, um, black women writers and mm-hmm. yeah, just poetry in general as an art. And I just yeah, I love that your your origin story begins with so much of what I recognize from what you're doing with Torch right now. Oh,
2: thank you. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So much love and support and encouragement. I'm blessed that it came first from in my home. You know, I always say that too. Like my husband didn't marry a poet. I wasn't doing this when we got married. So at first, you know, it was a little like, what What do you mean you're driving around to all these different places Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night (laughs) by yourself to go where? To do what? To read a poem? You know, so it, it took um some growth and understanding, you know, from both of us. Thank God we've had time to do that. You know, we've been gifted with that time to to love and support each mm-hmm. other. But I've had a very supportive home. And for both of us, it was important for our daughters. We have two daughters um, who are grown women now to see their mother being a full, whole person. Yes. Whatever that means. And for me, that meant... That I was doing my craft, that I was pushing it hard, Mm -hmm. that I was advocating for myself, Mm -hmm. you know, inside our home and outside. You know, I had to tell my daughters, I don't know everything that you need, but you have to say what you need. You have to put that up front because that matters. Right. Even to me, to daddy, to everybody. So having that passion for my writing And it being supported helped me be a better mother in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So that's what Torch really means for me beyond, you know, supporting women at all different points in their writing careers, right? This might be the first time that they've submitted somewhere. They might, you know, have multiple, you know, books, honors and awards and whatnot, but we all need support and we need to be able to see through that page to who is on the other side and that life matters. And... I want to be able to encourage that so that they know the work that they're doing is important. The work that they're doing first is there to you know, help themselves and to love themselves, to heal or understand themselves. But then when you do the work of publishing it, you allow it to live in its greater power of maybe helping to heal someone else, bring that understanding to someone else. the work yes and also it's no short thing to be able to pay writers
1: yeah
2: um that is still rare in the literary world especially with uh, journals and magazines you know the the more indie non-profit organizations you know you get contributor copies um and that's fine you know you you want to be somewhere um you know and you're working on your career Mm -hmm. that's good exposure it's good to be in company with other writers who you respect and build up your your cv and experience but at the end of the day the bills are due the end of the day things cost money and so there's something very precious about being paid for your art being paid for your art so we actually started Torch in 2006 and We weren't able to do that then, but we did several issues. And one of the things we were able to do was through Sisterhood, like lend those names and careers of more established writers to help bring light and focus on lesser known black women writers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our last issue was in 2016 and the feature was Elizabeth Alexander in conversation with Crystal Williams who she named as her spark. And now Elizabeth Alexander is the president of the Mellon Foundation, the largest philanthropic organization in the country. And Crystal Williams uh, just this year was named the 18th president of the Rhode Island Institute for Design. First black woman to have that distinction. So to have Elizabeth Alexander and Crystal Williams in conversation, having that naming and then two interviews with both of them, then, to be able to follow the art, to see where they are now,
0: Mm -hmm. along
2: with other poets and short stories in the journal from lesser known writers is a gift in itself. You know, like that, that's huge.
0: It's an archive. It's an important archive.
2: Yes. So that's one of the things we're wanting to do is to make sure that the archive is full. We've got three issues I think are available on there and they look rough. And I thought about reformatting them, but that would be a lie. Right. The archive has to be. I'm like, ooh, you know, you look at your old stuff. You're like, ooh, wow, been a long time. It's not rough. It's
0: vintage. It's vintage. (laughs) There
2: you go. It's vintage, exactly. But no, that gift of archiving, that gift of being in community, being, you know, in the same room with all of these writers, like that's something. But paying people. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the pandemic hit, and our last event was February 2020. Um, we had a wildfire reading featuring um, KB, a non-binary trans writer here from Austin, who is amazing. Yeah, yeah we know KB. Yes. and um, But then that was in February 2020, pandemic hit, everything stopped. Yeah. And I spent that time thinking like, okay, what am I going to do with Torch? There's a lot of not just nonprofits, businesses were shuttering, you know, successful businesses were shuttering and it's like we you know we barely got two coins to rub together and what does it mean if we close our doors and what does it mean if we stay open and it hurt it hurt to think about shutting down torch because i know what that means for women to get published I know what that means for black women so i didn't do it but it stayed on hiatus for 2 years <laughs> and nothing and nothing happened then the good people future front yes, here in austin our friends yes. as well shout out future front um posted a call for applicants for a micro grant for women bipoc and non-binary founders creatives and entrepreneurs and it was a google doc i had the capacity to fill out a google doc because <laughs> sometimes you get grants and they want 50 pages and you're 990 yeah. and things that I just don't have and and don't have the time or energy to do. I'm trying to survive in a pandemic. Right. So <laughs> I saw this very accessible uh, application and I completed it. And to my board, even I said, look, we haven't had a meeting in years. We haven't done anything. If we get this grant, we're coming back. We're relaunching. And we got it. We had it Out of 400 plus applicants, they picked, I think, nine or so for this thousand dollars, just a thousand dollars. You know what you can say just is everything. And for us, it was everything because what that thousand mm-hmm. dollars meant was there was some we didn't owe any taxes, but there's fees when you don't file uh your franchise so they had added up over the years. So about half of that thousand went to pay these back fees just so our filing would be up to date, you know, bureaucracy, paperwork, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Oh but I was like, nope, if we get it, I'm gonna tackle this, we'll take care of that. So we did that. And we applied for our 501 C three stat to be officially nonprofit. So trust, we have not been working at a profit of anything. Right. <laughs> no one no one was getting paid. I was not getting paid. I'm still not getting paid. No one was getting paid. Yeah. But when we got the grant, I said, OK, if we're going to come back. What is it that Torch needs to better serve Black women? And so having that 501c3 status will mean that we can apply for larger funding sources to be able to pay more to Black women writers and to be able to offer more. Um, so right now, we're publishing online. We have the monthly feature. Our first for January was Shayla Lawson, which is yes. amazing. Shout out, Shayla. And now for February, Ebony Stewart, Texas All-Star, yes. home yep. Girl hero. And her new book <laughs> is coming out, uh, Blood Fresh. It yes. is released on the 11th. So I'm so excited to be able to feature them and celebrate them. You know, the monthly feature celebrated all month long and we'll have a different one every month. But then also every Friday from submissions, we publish new authors. So we publish uh, poetry, fiction, hybrid genre, uh, drama, script writing. So interpret that as you will, right? If it's fire, if it's amazing. And it's polished and ready to be shared with the world. Send send it to Torch. Black women, send it to Torch. And we pay you.
0: And those features, Mm -hmm. they're paid and they go onto the website, but you also really have launched such a great social media campaign for these writers. They get so much love and attention online, which I think is a huge part of what you receive if you do apply and get featured with Torch. And we, want, we just want to have it for the record here. Um, we'll definitely be plugging your stuff on social media as well. But how can folks apply to be a feature with Torch?
2: Oh, it's very simple. You go to torchliteraryarts.org online, click the submit button. You'll see our guidelines and then a link to the submittable page. And so you submit through submittable. There is absolutely no fee to submit. And if your work is selected, you'll be featured as a Friday feature and you'll be paid. And like you said, Claire, we will be posting all over social media um, and supporting you. And the work will be archived. Again, that all important aspect of archival will happen. So what we've changed a little bit is where we we were trying to adhere more to traditional journal magazine styles and have an issue twice a year or something like that um what we're doing is all of the features stay as their own page that will be present on the website but at the end of the year we'll collect all of the work from the year and put mm-hmm. it into one digital collection that's awesome yeah that's really cool. so in 2023 you'll be able to go to our archive click Torch 2022, and everything will be there in a nice collection. I love that. And even that, I was like, God, this this is so easy. Why why didn't we do this before? Well, back when we first started in 2006, it took 10 days to download a PDF. (laughs) Technology has changed. (laughs) You know, they have flippable digital magazines now. Like Mm -hmm. there's so many options that we didn't have before. So we're, we're starting with that. We're not really looking at a print version of it at this time, um, because number one, we want it to be accessible to everyone. And our budget, quite frankly, doesn't allow for it at this time. And every time we consider funding a torch, first and foremost, is how do we put it in the hands of Black women writers? Yes. So <laughs> that's the drive. How do we do that? <laughs> Absolutely.
0: And we love to hold something in our hands, Anar and I personally love that, but it is more accessible online. Oh, I do too.
2: I absolutely do too. It's a great too. feeling,
0: but it's so much more accessible <laughs> to have your work online, um, mm-hmm. especially if it's archived and it's free. That's That might even be more useful for, for people who are trying to advance their careers.
2: Absolutely. And it opens up our borders. Um, we have no borders, so we accept submissions from all over the world. And we have received some submissions already from Nigeria, wow. from England. Oh, wow. um, so keep them coming, you know. And so we pay in U.S. So depending on where you're at, that <laughs> might be a little more or a little less.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> but, yeah. But
2: we, will, we will get that payment to you wherever you are in the world. And we want to support your writing and we want to feature you. And likewise for readers and educators, you know, you can come to Torch and access this work wherever you're, you're at. So that's another important part. It, it comes around every so often, you know, where people say, I don't know where to find great Black women writers or, you know, BIPOC writers. Mm-hmm. Where, where are they? You know, one, that's dumb. Like <laughs> Yeah, you're really not looking hard. <laughs> just try Google. But I, I do want Torch to become um, synonymous with great Black women writers. So when you think of Black women writers... I want everyone, no matter where they are in the world, to say, have you looked at Torch yet? Oh, my gosh. Have you tried Torch?
1: I want to backpedal a little bit to just mention that last time we spoke, you had said that just something as simple as getting support on filling out very basic government forms to, like, register Torch as a nonprofit. Um, Yeah, just... You know, Host is a small business, you know, it's Claire and I, and we know how exhausting it is to just something as simple as, you know, making sure the website is up to date. And, you know, we just registered with Clamp yes. as well. We saw that you were, uh, I think we joined like at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that was very daunting, just like making sure the form online was correct and some communication back and forth. Um So behind Torch, there's the website and the features, but behind the website, there's so much time and energy and passion um, and paperwork that is so exhausting. And yeah, I just have to commend you because I know that kind of work and can't imagine just what your past year was like. Uh, But I'm grateful that the community has, has supported you and I'm really grateful that Future Front came through with the grant, and mm-hmm. um, people assisted you with figuring out. Oh my God! I've looked at the the nonprofit paperwork. It is something else. <laughs> it's a lot.
2: It is. So I want to shout out everybody. I think it's important. It really is important. Say the names thank the people. No one does this work alone. We absolutely do not. And that was one of the things that I had to work on for myself was to get over asking for help. Mm -hmm. I'm a very independent, strong person. I figure it out. I don't need no help from nobody. That's a lie. We all need help. We all need people in our lives. We don't do any of this work alone. So after we got that grant, I started looking into what I needed to do to get everything resolved the back paperwork and the new paperwork and whatnot and it started first with me making phone calls to the texas state comptroller's office because we had filed in 2010 and i was like uh what do i need to do so being on hold for an hour you know it's the government so i'm waiting Mm -hmm. person gets on the phone you know i'm like um torch literary arts do you still have us listed <laughs> like, like that and having to be home? Cause that's embarrassing, right? It's like, what do you mean? You don't know if you're still listed? Well, cause we are behind on some filings, you know, and that's okay mm-hmm. to suck that up. Say, so I don't have time to be embarrassed. I'm trying to help black women writers. Mm-hmm. And once I made that switch mm-hmm. in my head, then it's like, okay, get past yourself. You're doing this so that you can do something bigger than yourself for other people. Then I was good. You know, they'll say that it's hard to do for yourself sometimes. So I had to remind myself it wasn't about me.
1: Mm-hmm. It was
2: about doing something bigger. So I made the phone calls, humbled myself, got the answers, what I needed. And in a month, got all the Texas paperwork done. Great. Then it was the 501c3. And I'm like, oh, and mm-hmm. you're talking about IRS Government, big government. <laughs> I don't know that I want them knowing where I'm at. Yeah, you know I mean Ray? they know where I'm at, but <laughs> they know everything. But you know that's what's going in my head. Are you really gonna just voluntarily reach out to government, <laughs> have this conversation? And yes, because it's not just about me. So I'm looking at the, the forms online, and they're daunting. They're just mm-hmm. government legal ease stuff, and my eyes were starting to cross. And I was overwhelmed and I found the nonprofit center here in Austin through Austin Community College and Barry Silverman. He was amazing. He's the director of the program. I sent a general email through their form saying, I'm trying to fix this. (laughs) Can someone like advise me? Thank you. Sincerely (laughs) me. And I get an email back from the director of the program and he says, let's set up a Zoom, set up a Zoom. And in 30 minutes, Barry, he said, well, you need an EIN, you need an employer identification number. I said, okay. He said, we can do that right now. Snaps fingers, plugged in the stuff. There was a PDF with Torch Literary Arts EIN number. Wow. Like, what? Mm-hmm. He said, and you know, everything you told me about your organization sounds good. You've already got your bylaws. You've already got all that stuff, right? I said, yeah, we, we've got all of that. And he said, well, then you can do the 1023EZ instead of doing the long 1023 to file for the 501c3. Saved us 300 bucks just by saying that. And he said, if you got a minute, we can do it together. Went line by line on that form and answered all of my questions, 30 minutes for free. Barry, director of nonprofit center at Austin Community College, did what I couldn't do in over a decade. Mm. I couldn't figure it out on my own. I was too intimidated. I was too insecure. I asked for help. And this man said yes. And in 30 minutes, we had our EIN number and the application for our 501c3 was submitted oh my
0: gosh that's amazing
2: yeah so the power like of just asking now that doesn't mean that everyone you ask is going to have the capacity or be able to do what you're asking them for and that's okay mm-hmm. so you can't be disappointed you know emotions are emotions don't be disappointed longer than breakfast because you got to get on <laughs> with, with your day right when they say you can let it spoil your breakfast but not your lunch and you gotta keep going. But if I wouldn't have asked, I would still be spinning in circles trying to figure it out myself when what this man in his experience could do help take care of that, just solved it in thirty wow. minutes. Oh
1: my
0: gosh. That's such a great that's such a great piece of advice too, is to just ask for help. And mm-hmm. you're right, it does take a huge amount of vulnerability, uh, to do that because it means you don't know what you're doing. And that's mm-hmm. hard to say sometimes when you really want to be, like you said, this independent person who can do all the work themselves. And it's like, even if you can, right. you sh- shouldn't have to. And and you won't get help unless you ask Absolutely. for it in most cases. And um, I think it's just such a it's a great lesson that we we are trying to learn as well.
2: <laughs> yes. Ask for the help. And and again, Shanahan, thank you, people. Thank you to all of the individual donors. Mm -hmm. Because we don't have our 501c3 yet, you know, we, we got the micro grant from Future Front because the way they're set up, they were able to gift that to me. And then I, in turn, donated it to Torch right? Mm -hmm. But we can't apply for foundations or institutions or government grants until we have that 501c3. So our ability to pay artists, to pay the web fees, to pay for the submittable subscription, all of the things, membership to CLMP, that comes from individual donors. It's almost 100% comes from individual donors. So thank you to everyone who has given at any amount People have donated $5. People have donated almost $1,000. Thank you. It all helps. It all helps.
0: I want to also mention that, you know, you took a chance when you went to check out the VUCA space as well, (laughs) not probably knowing what was going to (laughs) happen. And it was such a cool, when I dropped off the mic, I got a little tour of that space and it was absolutely jaw-droppingly gorgeous Mm -hmm. and it's so spacious and so put together and it seems to have everything that you would need to potentially hold some events in the future Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah. how did how did that come about how did you get settled into that space
2: oh my god it again just the gifts that come when you ask when you show up when you look into and figure it out so my, my home address is in round rock I live in the suburbs of Austin, but the work that we do has primarily happened in Austin um, with our great partners and friends at Bookwoman. Bookwoman has hosted the majority of our wildfire reading events and some other great things there in their bookstore. Um, but I knew for us to be able to function as Torch needed to, to serve Black women writers, we were gonna need our own space and I didn't know what was possible. Again, we have, you know, very little funds. So paying rent in Austin was not possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rent is very high everywhere, but um, Austin is just getting more and more expensive, especially for folks in the arts to have space. It's very challenging. Yeah. So I started looking at co-working spaces online, just Googling, co-working Austin. And I found a couple different spaces. But when I came across VUCA, I really liked their mission Um, up front. They have declared that they are here to support the community, to be a positive impact from, you know, nonprofits to startups, charitable groups, you know, just an array of folks who are trying to do good things, trying to do good work. And they had a foundation, and I recognized some of the other nonprofits that were listed there. I said, oh, well, they're working with them. So might be a good place for torch. And I saw the pictures online. I was like, oh, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. So I sent an email, again, just to the general contact email mm-hmm. and asked for a tour of this space. And Austin DeVault, shout out Austin, at VUCA, met me at the North Lamar location. I was interested in the one on North Lamar because it's right across the street from Book Woman, Close to Malvern Books, Black Pearl... To host publishing, (laughs) so you know it's right there in this great little neighborhood um, with great things happening, especially in literary arts. So I was like, "This is this is a great location," and I showed up for the tour and just was blown away. Now I'm trying to keep it cool. I'm just like, "This place is absolutely beautiful." I mean, huge, you know, wall of windows. Um, It's very accessible. It's right on the bus stop. It has plenty of parking. Again, another thing, if you're in Austin, not every place has parking. This place has plenty of parking. It has an elevator in it, you know, if you need to go upstairs to check the mail, you know, just things like that. I was like, this is professional. It has a full functioning gourmet kitchen. So if you were doing an event needed a caterer, it's got these really cute breakout yes. lounge spaces where you can curl up and read a book. And so I'm getting the tour and my mind is just going wild with the readings we could have and the workshops we could do and all of this, not knowing um, if I could afford the place. <laughs> and we get to the end and Austin asked me about torch and I tell him, tell him what I'm doing. We're publishing black women writers. We want to hold workshops for black women writers. We want to hold a retreat eventually here in Austin for black women writers to come and do nothing but write and rest and be pampered and taken care of so that they can be their best selves. And I tell him all this and he's just nodding his head and he says, okay, we can sponsor you. And I'm still like, okay, great. What what does that mean? And how much? I'm thinking maybe, you know, we'll get a discounted rate or something, which would be awesome. And he says, all of it. Oh
1: my
2: and I started crying. <laughs> I can't even lie to you that I didn't. I fell over, started crying. You would have thought <laughs> I got the 100 on prices right, that the wheel had stopped right there. And I was like the big winner. Whatever lotto yep. winning dream you could think I just got it by him saying we will sponsor you 100%. And so what that means is we don't have a dedicated office, but we have access to the co-working space. So I get to come, I usually come once or twice a week and I work out there after my full-time job. Right. <laughs> I'm an administrator at a middle school <laughs> in Round Rock. And so when I'm done there, I go to VUCA once or twice a week and I can just sit. And by then, you're like five o'clock, Everybody's gone. So it's like I have this whole building to myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's gorgeous. And it is absolutely beautiful. Go to the Torch Literary Arts on Instagram and look at our reels. There's a reel, says, Torch has a new home in VUCA, and you can see how beautiful yes. this space is. But yeah, so that generous gift gave us a very important address in Austin.
0: So amazing. I am loving the support that you're getting left and right, Amanda, from unlikely places. You didn't expect it. Like the biggest yes. roadblocks that you perceived uh, have just sort of not melted away. Obviously, a lot of work has gone into this, but but you've had the support you need to get through those. And yes. I'm so, so happy about that. So happy for you and for all the people involved with Torch and supported by Torch.
2: Thank you. Yes. No, it has been incredible the support that we're getting and i mean thank you host dispatch thank you (laughs) host publications for taking time to talk with me about this Is you know All of this helps amplify the voices of Black women writers. It helps Mm -hmm. bring attention to the work that we're doing at Torch. And that visibility is necessary and priceless. I've been um, having some great meetings with folks doing advanced work before we get the 501c3. You know, I'm gonna be ready day one, so that means I'm starting now. And I was talking to a woman from a local foundation. And one of the things I asked her, I said, okay, before we get off of this call, What's one piece of advice you would give me as a new, not new, nonprofit ED? And she said, nonprofits, especially when they're first starting, tend to focus on money, which is important. You can't pay the bills right. and do what you need to do without money. She said, but you need visibility. When people know you exist, then there's more people and more opportunities to get the money. Yeah. So visibility is very important. I said, that was you know, $1,000 piece of advice. So being here and getting to talk about Torch with y'all is important. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyone listening, please spread the word. Go to torchliteraryarts.org. Follow us on social media. Share with your friends. You know, there's so many ways that you can help that doesn't include money. Number one, number one, read the work. You know, I mean, before that, if you're a Black woman writer, submit. Mm
0: -hmm. Please
2: submit. You know, I love accepting work. I hate having to not accept all of the work. But that doesn't mean that you're not doing great things. That just means that, you know, I want you to support yourself. Go back to the page, revision. I say this to all of my students. Whenever you're writing, you know, that's one part of it. But real writers, revise. Mm -hmm. Real writers go back and revise and they don't stop. And they keep putting that work forward. So I hate having to reject work. But that's never a no. That's a not yet. So Mm -hmm. submit again, submit again to Torch. We want your work. And then after that, read the work, share the work. I'll never forget one time. This kind of a sad story, but it's important to to mention for the context of what we're talking about now with reading the work. Um, A long time ago, when Torch was first starting, I went to an event somewhere and I had postcards, you know, with Torch's information on it Mm -hmm. and I was passing them out. And this woman, this non-Black woman, picked up the card and she's like, oh, what's this? I told her what it was. And she said, oh, and she put it down. And I picked it back up and gave it to her. I said, no, read the work. Mm-hmm. Read the work. And I think that's something, you know, we can do better about. Like, there's so much beautiful, brilliant work out there by people who don't look like you. Read the work. Share the work. Dig into the work. We're reserving this space for Black women writers because we know what all we have to face beyond the page, right? <laughs> There's a lot of discrimination, race, gender, class, sexuality, all, you know, you compound it all. The intersection right there, you're gonna find Black women. Yeah. And we know that, right? So in this small way, in the literary landscape, we're able to reserve this space say we see you we support you none of that is going to be a barrier for you here right so support those writers who are putting that work out there and read the work beyond that share the work share it with somebody like and follow us on social media subscribe to our newsletter so you'll be the first to receive every friday when we publish a new friday feature you know all of those great things don't cost anything and if you have an outlet where you can help spread the word about torch you can post about our call for submissions or if you want to talk with me about Torch, reach out. But we're, we're trying to spread the word and, and visibility. Visibility is very important.
0: It's so daunting, I think, for everyone. But, you know, specifically talking about white people who are looking at situations that like just any racial situation where it's, it's like, what, what do you do, you know? And people often just throw their hands up and are like, well, what can we do? This is so ingrained. This is such a, such a mess. Like, how can I make it so that black women don't have to work 10 times harder to be a poet or to be a creative being on this planet? And it's like, It's like, you know, you're just not thinking hard enough. There are so many ways that people can do something really, really small, which is like sharing a post on social media Mm -hmm. that then helps to spread the word about Torch, which is literally creating a space where black women come. And all that's required of them is to be nurtured, supported and creative. And they get to express themselves through their art without having to work 10,000 times harder Mm -hmm. than any other person especially let's just say a white man. <laughs> so, I love that that it's like no, there's not one quick solution to no. any of these issues. That's that's true. But there is no reason to throw your hands up when there's so there's so many easy and even seemingly small ways to help and to support and you know, with that in mind, are there any other ways that we can support Torch besides donating? And sharing work on on social media and reading the work, Amanda.
2: That's a great question. Thank you for asking. There, there's many ways to help. We are looking for um, advisory board members, reaching out to professionals. Being a writer is not required to be an advisory board member. <laughs> this is separate from our board of directors, who does governance. But our advisory board are a group of professionals who. You know are willing to lend their experience and their their name and credibility quite frankly to the organization and to be available to me on occasion to ask questions you know be ambassadors for the organization Mm -hmm. in their their world so uh, when i say cross industries i mean people in finance people in law people in real estate You know, all of those things impact a nonprofit organization, right, Mm -hmm. regardless of of what your specialization is. So I'm looking for people who have experience in those areas to have a talk with and uh, see if they might be interested in serving as an advisor. Now, like I said, it's very hands off. You don't do governance, but you're available to to me as executive director for advice from time to time. You get invited to all the fun stuff. So it's, it's pretty amazing. So that's one way. But then also, you know, there's a lot of things that I don't know. Right. There's a lot of things I don't know. So that means there are a lot of questions I don't know to ask. So if you see us doing good work and you want to be a part of it and you think you have something that might be a good collaboration or, you know, invite me to come and speak about Torch at some event or thing like that, that would be really helpful. Just reach out reach out. I always say in in my community organizing as well, you know, we have, we always have more than we think, you know, we, we always have more than we think. And I learned that from my mother, my mother, shout out Susan Egan, my mom (laughs) (laughs) lives right here in, in Texas, in Pflugerville. And she served as a union steward for the, the communication workers of America for years. And she gets really, you know, she's, she's very humble and she doesn't feel like she did, that much. But uh, it was a huge impact on my life and taught me a lot about community and how we help each other. Mm -hmm. And she would do things, you know, and I'd be right there with her. She was a single mom. I'd be there five years old helping to, you know, lick stamps and close envelopes Mm -hmm. for letter writing campaigns. Or um, I remember showing up on picket lines with my mother, you know, when they were on strike, she worked for the phone company. And all of that stuff, big and small was equally important. But when she was on strike, like, people made sure we had groceries. People made sure that, you know, if she needed a babysitter for me, somebody was watching the kids. So it's things like that. Anything. All of the things. If you you have a connection with technology, you happen to have 10 laptops you can donate, you know, that'd be a great thing to put in the hands of some Black woman writers. Mm -hmm. I can help get those laptops to those people. But I don't know that you have them unless you tell me you have them. Right? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. uh, there's so many ways to help reach out, mm-hmm. send us an email. I'm here. I'm very easily to access just email through the website and I'd love to have a conversation.
1: Oh, my gosh. I'm just I'm so starstruck by you. Amanda. Oh, please don't um, be. <laughs> oh my
2: gosh. Please We're all, we are all here just trying to do some good, you know, and I'm, I love yeah. everything that y'all are doing. Um, the books are beautiful. I can't get over Sequoia's book. And congrats, you have a new release. Yes? do.
1: Yeah. We have a new book coming your way. um, And we'll make sure that our books get in your hands. We'll let you know once we have a copy and we'll make sure that you get it. And yeah, you know, I'm so excited about Torch. I really hope that, you know, you mentioned last time that we met that we are keeping you in mind when we think about mm-hmm. collaboration efforts and when you're ready, let us know. Um, but we're so grateful that you can come and, and do the podcast with us today. Um, we'll continue to support you. I'm a little on like an Instagram hiatus because mm-hmm. it drives me crazy. You gotta take a break
2: sometimes, yeah.
1: <laughs> but on Twitter, like I'm seeing your tweets and your promotion, you know, you tweeted yesterday... I'm shooting for 28 donations. I have five. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make a donation today. And that'll be six. And mm-hmm. you're one step closer to twenty-eight. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. just little little things like that. You know, you just telling people up front what your goal is, what you need. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I know what to do. I was like, pull up the Venmo and make it happen. And yeah, it works. It works when people are passionate and excited and energetic, Um, it's contagious. And yeah, I was like, I can tweet about this Mm -hmm. and I can get other people excited about this. And that's just the way we propel what we believe in and what we love Mm -hmm. into like a bigger, better future and more accessible and just deeper and richer.
2: Absolutely. And thank you so much for that donation and sharing it. I mean, we don't have a communications team. <laughs> we don't have a marketing team. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see me like this is this is it. And, you know, my husband helps me with some tech support on occasion. Yeah. And and that's it. And I know that's not sustainable, though. A lot of us do that, you know, and, and so then unfortunately that becomes like the model, like just yep. figure it out. No. No, we know this isn't it. So that's one of the reasons why we're fundraising and getting the word out there so much is because I do need help. We need the resources to be able to increase our capacity, which means having staff, Mm -hmm. which means having the technology and the resources at hand to be able to provide the best service possible to Black women writers. Right. Like I said, the things that we're wanting to do, we know some of the things that black women need. Number one, money. Yeah. So we, we're able to do that now. We pay fifty dollars for Friday mm-hmm. features. We pay a hundred dollars for monthly features. The only reason why monthly features even paid more is because they do more. They provide an interview. It's a little more in depth. But that's something to start. And it doesn't seem like a lot of money, but you know, when you look at some other organizations that have endowments, multi-million dollar endowments aren't paying that much more than we do. Yeah. Now, their, their volume is larger. They're publishing more people on a, a daily, monthly basis. But how many of them are BIPOC people? Mm-hmm. How many of them are queer people? How many of them mm-hmm. are people who really need more support and attention, right? So being able to put money into women's hands, number one, is important. And we, we need more funds to be able to increase that, right? We don't want it to stay at those levels. Because they need yeah. more money. <laughs> Price of everything goes up every year, not down. And we also want to be able to provide, like I said, the workshops. And we never want to charge. I want to say that now and like mm-hmm. be on the record of saying that. The model is not to charge and put up additional barriers to Black women. We want everything to be provided at no cost. So submitting to the journal, no cost you get paid Mm -hmm. participating in a workshop no cost and if we can pay you we will but we'll start at least that there's no fee and we will pay the faculty member and then the retreats that we're hoping to be able to launch next year in 2023 would be a week-long retreat here in austin at a beautiful comfortable location when a small intimate group of between five and eight participants will work one-on-one with an award-winning, accomplished author across genres. So it would rotate. Like mm-hmm. one year would be poetry, one year fiction, and so on. But that you could come, we'd be able to pay you a stipend, be able to pay the faculty member and pay all costs associated with the retreat so that you could come and just write or sleep and mm-hmm. eat and, I don't know, ride a scooter in Austin go see <laughs> Lady Bird Lake, you know, live your best life and not have any other mm-hmm. worries that week that it's just you and your writing. Um, but to be able to do that, it takes, it takes funding. So that's what we're shooting for. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that 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 nonprofit status is going to do some great things for you. And, and I, really, I really do think that great things are just going to keep happening, Amanda. It really feels like that's the trajectory that you and Torch yes. are on. Um, and We're going to do
2: our best to
0: support that.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. It, it's, you know, you look at the numbers and it really is disheartening. I'm doing some light research mm-hmm. just so I could have the data to, to back this. You know, everybody wants receipts, so I'm going to have my receipts but it's to what we already know, right? That BIPOC folks, queer folks are marginalized and underrepresented, Um, but specifically for black uh, women writers. It was, I believe 2018, 5% of the literary landscape identified as black or African-American, only 5%. And that includes everywhere from agents, editors, publishers, to you know copy editors, you know any kind of job in publishing or in, across the literary yeah. landscape, five percent, so you know if all things being even, which we know they're not half of that might be women, so two point five black women, right um and then in two thousand nineteen, I might be getting these years um, mixed up, but either way, in two thousand nineteen it was 11% of all books published were by people of color. So that's all people of color, right? All BIPOC folks, only 11% of books published in 2019. We're not talking about 1950, whatever. Right. Not, we're talking <laughs> about 2019. It doesn't make any sense. And it's easy to feel like that. that can't be. Because one thing that's happening... Is you're seeing more black and brown people on mainstream news outlets, on mainstream, you know, in literature. You look and you see who's on the New York Times bestselling list, right? You're seeing people there. So it yeah. feels like, but feels like isn't reality. And even those people who are getting some shine and winning major awards and have great book contracts still fail in comparison to their white counterparts in comparison if if anyone out there if you hadn't um seen it i don't know if you ladies saw it but on twitter it was hashtag what publishing paid me i it just you just want to cry you know you're seeing people you know who are winning again mul- multiple national book awards multiple critic circle awards all the things all of the awards that say you're you're the best you're one of the best and they're saying how they had to fight to get $50,000 for their third book. yeah, You know, $100,000 for their third book. And the people who aren't in publishing, that might sound like a lot of money. But when there's people you've never heard of who are coming on using that hashtag and being honest, I'm thankful to them as well for being honest. And I can't remember the man's name. I wouldn't mention it now either, but I'm glad that he shared his story. He's like, He's like, wow, this is incredible. I didn't know this. I had no idea who this man was. I had never heard of his book but he publicly shared that he received almost a million dollar deal for his first book. I'd never heard of him. Right. Never heard of him. And I, I think I've, I know a lot of writers, right? I'm really <laughs> in touch with what's going on in the literary world. Never heard of him. Almost a million dollars. And we're talking about people like Roxane Gay, not getting a hundred thousand dollars until her third book, you know, it's like, Wow. Wow. So when you look at these statistics, like I just said, it seems unreal. I'm like, how could that be? But it is. And we, have to, we, we can't look away from that, mm-hmm. right? Now, the positive statistic that I like to share came from 2014 Pew Report that discovered the number one most likely person to read a book is a Black college educated woman. Wow. That is a cool statistic. Yes. So then the question that I have is, what are we giving her to read? Mm -hmm. Does she see herself? Does she see herself in the characters, in the subject? Does she see herself on the back cover as the author? What are we giving that number one reader to read? That's what Torch is trying to help with. We're trying to give her back herself her full, beautiful, talented, amazing, ordinary, everyday self. Yes. We're here and our stories matter.
0: And they don't need to be changed or, or made palatable to an audience other right. than the people who wrote it and the people who it's for. And
2: those stories are, are riveting for everyone. But we need, as, as a society as a, as a people, we need yeah, these books. Exactly. Right along with all of the other books. We agree. <laughs> <laughs> now let's just get every, everybody, just get in here on this train. You yes. got two people who agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's more. We know oh, there's oh, so no. many more. We so do many too. more who agree. Yep. Yep. We're going to get mm-hmm. everybody on board. Show up. That's the first thing and the hardest thing. You know, even even when in the pandemic, when we started doing things over Zoom, as I would do in person, I continued to do on Zoom and thank people for showing up. We can't do any of this if people don't show up. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. It sounds like an easy thing to do. It's hard. There's a million things that can make it to where you can't show up. I asked once after reading, talking to some folks about what it took for them to get, just said, what did it take for you to get here tonight? You know? And people tell stories about, oh, I caught this train, that train, the bus, two-hour commute, whatever, to get there. Right. that's just the physical, you know, transportation part, logistics. And then someone else said, I got pulled over by the cops. Black man, you made it here. And you could have easily not. And we live in a world where that is a very real reality. And I'm so thankful that you left your house and you got in the car and you made it through that incident and you got here to the poetry reading. Thank you for showing up. It's a big deal. Mm. Mm.
0: We can't wait for more readings and workshops and things in the future when it's safe, speaking of which. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. We are um, in the process of planning for Torch, a return of our wildfire reading series. Yay! Yay! But we're planning for the fall, so trying to allow more time for more vaccines, more boosters, all of those good things. And we'll have a mix either way um, when we return to in-person it will be broadcast. That's a great thing that we did get from the pandemic is more accessibility to be able to broadcast events because we always want things to be accessible for people to be able to enjoy what's happening no matter where they are in the world. Um, So we will broadcast in-person events. But then if we can't gather safely, we will also do digital Um, and we'll just do digital because just because, mm-hmm. you know, we know that's accessible for people. So we'll do little, mini readings and things on Instagram. Yes. So okay. be prepared for that. Subscribe to the newsletter TorchLiteraryArts.org and you will get all of the announcements about events and other ways that you can participate. Yay,
1: that's so exciting. You answered all of our questions without us having to ask them. Yes you're ready
2: <laughs> this was great y'all asked great questions thank you again for having me an opportunity to share about about my work and about torch again it's so important to be able to amplify the work so that in turn we're amplifying the women that we serve you yeah. know um i I've heard folks talk about their legacy before, you know, and like I roll my eyes. I'm <laughs> just like, that just, I don't want, it just sounds so vague to me. like My <laughs> legacy <laughs> would I leave to this earth, right? Like it's like, bring it down a notch, right? But I, I will say this. If when I'm gone, Torch is still here and helping people, mm-hmm. that will make me happy. So I'm doing everything, putting everything I can into it so that it's sustained and- supported and one day in the future there will be a nice retirement party for me (laughs) and there will be a new executive director and a full staff doing this good work and thousands of women around the world thousands of thousands of women around the world um have been supported by torch
1: beautiful and
0: just want to say, we see you doing this work, Amanda. Mm-hmm. We know, like Anar mentioned earlier, how much goes into the behind-the-scenes stuff. Not even the behind-the-scenes, like the public stuff, the Instagram account, the website. Um, mm-hmm. We know that you're putting, like I said at the top, you're dedicating your life to this. Mm-hmm. That's that's the way I see it. Um, I hope, hope, hope that you're getting all of the rest and support that you need. But I love that part of what your passion and your mission is, is to create a restful, supportive, creative space for black women. And it is my hope that you receive that in return as well. I know you got got a lot of work to do, but I believe that this trend of you asking and and people offering their support is gonna keep keep going.
2: No, it has, and I'm definitely doing that. Um, asking for myself as well, during the pandemic that that helped. Um, gosh, in 2019, I was awarded a residency at Hedgebrook. If if y'all don't know what Hedgebrook is, it's a residency up just north of Seattle, and. They uh, promote radical hospitality. Mm. And I was like, wow, that sounds great. Um, <laughs> you go and you can stay for like a week to a month in and- you get a, a private cabin and there's an organic chef there and they grow stuff. It just sounds magical. Right. And so I applied and I got in and I was so excited and then the pandemic happened mm. and I couldn't go. Now, thankfully they just postponed it. I didn't lose it. Okay. But, but I was like itching in my skin. I was like, I have to go somewhere and write. And I got on Facebook. I said, I putting this out there in case anyone knows I need a space to write. I need a space to rest. Um, if anyone has any leads, I would appreciate it. And I got so many responses. Mm. Like it really it really blew me away. And good folks at Tasahillo residency in Kyle, Texas. So just an hour from my house. Ooh. Yes, they're um still relatively new. They've only been there for about a couple maybe a couple of years. But on this incredible expanse of land on this ranch, there's a cabin and it has everything you need on modern amenities. And they said yeah. So at the end of June I went there and I was in the cabin for a week. And they gave me a small grant, which allowed me... This is above. I was just asking for space. Right. They gave me a small grant, which allowed me to buy a new laptop and a new camera um, that I'm planning to do some things with. And also in what I had submitted was I needed funding to start therapy mm-hmm. because doing yeah. this work is hard. It's reopening wounds, trauma in so many different levels. So I got the funding and I started therapy last August. And it's been amazing. It's it's been a huge help. And the Hedgebrook Residency is back on and will be this summer. So this year has plenty of opportunity for me to go and rest and write and feed and nurture my own work Mm -hmm. um, so I can keep showing up and doing good fathers. Got to take care of yourself.
1: Yep. Amanda, on the note of, so therapy has been life-changing for me this pandemic I started. And A recent conversation I had a few days ago with my therapist was, you know, there's this, like, feeling of insecurity that I feel as an artist and that, like, I haven't made a film in two years and I haven't Mm. written a new, you know, my poems are slowly, like, falling out of me. I felt very insecure and damaged because I was so tired. And part of my therapy process has been acknowledging that, like, What I do for Host and what I can say you're doing for Torch takes so much of every ounce of who you are to do it right. Mm -hmm. And that is real art. It's meaningful and it's powerful. Mm -hmm. And a recent thing that my therapist has been having me do is, because I was like, I just barrel through work. I just, I give it everything and then I come home and it's like, I ate a grenade, I'm just nothing. You know, and Mm -hmm. she's like, do this thing where you, like you give yourself to your work, pull it back and check in with yourself and be like, okay, now something for me. And that can be something as simple as, I'm gonna meditate and sit still, or I'm gonna take a sip of water and just feel it go through my body. Mm -hmm. Just these little tiny moments You know, every hour or so, or after every task, to like reconnect and be present. Mm -hmm. Because so much of what we do is the future, you know, Mm -hmm. this book and this project and this thing has to come out that we don't get to sit in the moment with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I want to acknowledge that I think it's brilliant that you are checking in with yourself and have this space and opportunity. Mental health is essential.
2: You can't, like I said earlier about with my daughters, when I first started doing this type of work, you know, being an advocate for myself and trying to live in such a way that that is an example to my daughters and now to to other women, to whomever, you know, that I'm in proximity to, you have to advocate for yourself. You can't take care of anyone else until you've taken care of yourself. That's mm-hmm. real. You put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can put it on anybody else. Mm-hmm. And um, no, having a therapist has been been life-changing. It's been huge. And even in that, asking for what I needed. I've ended up going through an, an app and it did this little questionnaire. And the first thing it put was, I want a black woman therapist, mm-hmm. which f- sometimes feels like finding a unicorn, truly. Mm-hmm. And the first response I got back, she's still my therapist. She said, first line, I'm a black woman. I can be your therapist. Still work with her, right? And then what you just said is so important, that imposter syndrome, right? And thinking like, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. I work on that a lot with my therapist as well. And one tool that she gave me that I share with anyone is reality is reality. And so things that you've done are things that you've done. You can't take that away from yourself. You're not trying to be what you already are. Y'all are not trying to be podcast hosts. You are. You are. And you're doing an amazing (laughs) job. I am not trying to be a poet, writer. I am. I'm not trying to be the founder, executive director of Torch. I am.
0: Yeah.
2: Right? So it helped me that whenever I have those negative feelings or voices, you know, that are saying, ah, oh, it's not that great. Or, you know, maybe you shouldn't be the person doing this or whatever that negativity is that creeps in, I return to reality. And I'll just keep a short list of accomplishments. You're not trying to be what you already are. Acknowledge what you've done and you're building from that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that that's helped me a lot.
1: That's going to help our listeners. Yeah. That's <laughs> helping me in this moment.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, my Love Irish. therapy. Therapy and working on yourself is so important oh yeah so glad we're so normalizing that more and more every day That's so inspiring yes. amanda
1: now i'm like all wet and like the tears <laughs> um thank you absolutely <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs>